For the purposes of this podcast, let's accept these truths as self-evident. First, that the doctor-patient relationship remains vital in determining the quality of our health care. And secondly, that this relationship is changing. But how has it changed? And why does that matter to you and me? That's what this podcast is about. And really, the first question that pops into my mind is this. Is the doctor-patient relationship endangered? I think it's, it's really endangered. Dr. Andy Lazarus has been an internist for over 25 years. Most of that time as a geriatrician practicing on the East Coast. We, we have checklists we have to fill out. We have computers now we have to stare. When, when I started, we had paper notes. The notes were relatively simple. There were no requirements put on us from insurance companies of what we had to discuss with our patients. The, pa- the patient owned the visit when, we, when I started. Now the insurance company owns the visit. And we, ha- and we have to do the note exactly as they say or we will be audited and pay a hefty price. And it has to be done exactly that way in a computer. So the, the time that it takes us just to do those logistical things, for me at least, is about 15 minutes per patient. And so someone has a 20-minute visit, 15 of those minutes are going to be doing that. So the relationship has shifted from patient-oriented to computer and insurance company-oriented. The installation of the electronic wall. That's what Dr. Beth Abels calls electronic medical records, or EMRs. Like Lazarus, Abels has been an internist for over 25 years, almost all of that time practicing in a very remote and economically depressed corner of Northern California. And she considers EMRs to be the largest threat to the doctor-patient relationship. They're the main reason computers are now in almost every exam and hospital room in the U.S., Prior to the wall, we actually looked at our patients, directed our comments towards them, and even spent more time in the room touching our patients. Patients who, not uncommonly, take the time to bring Abel's fresh-caught salmon, baked goods, or preserves. And there's that word again, time, the very thing most of us need to do our job well. We're paid on the basis of RVUs, work units. An RVU is a relative value unit, and it's basically set by the complexity of the visit and how many visits you can cram into a day. And we're not rewarded by the quality, we're rewarded by the quantity of work we do. And a lot of people are cranking through quite a few patients just to get their RVUs up and make their goal and make their salary. And this brings up one of the more obvious, but often neglected ways that the new and unimproved doctor-patient relationship can lead to harms. Mainly, Good medicine takes time, so rationing time can lead to trouble. Well, I think trying to shove a complex patient into a 15-minute visit where you're addressing at least six chronic illnesses and a few minor new complaints can be harmful. I had asked geriatrician Andy Lazarus what he thought were now the three biggest barriers between the patient and the doctor. The first he mentioned were that his notes now had to be written in a very specific and contrived way often motivated more by billing than medical concerns, while still trying to establish rapport with his patients. Second was just what Dr. Abels had mentioned, that computer taking his full attention away from the patient. And then he mentioned a third I didn't expect. And the third one is what are called quality indicators, which are my report card that I have to make sure my patients have certain tests that their numbers have to look a certain way. And so as an example, if a patient comes in with knee pain and I say, well, you know, you haven't had a mammogram in a year, 
And she says, well, I don't want a mammogram. And I say, well, you have to have a mammogram. And that's a quality indicator for me. But the, the, to discuss a mammogram with a patient is not a quality indicator. You, you don't get credit for discussing a mammogram. You get credit for if the patient gets the mammogram. And Lazarus feels these quality indicators, which, by the way, are mostly developed by specialty medical societies and adopted by Medicare and most other insurance providers, they actually disincentivize shared decision-making with patients. And that can lead to harms. I, I think that there is a harm for people over-treating because we're basing our treatment strategies on guidelines rather than on what the patient is telling us. If I just tell them to get the mammogram, tell them to get the colonoscopy, refer them to a few other doctors, then I have done myself a service. But that's a huge disservice to the patient. Patient now is, does not have a relationship with you at all. You might as well be a robot. So there's the danger of overtreating. There's also the danger of undertreating, neglecting what the patient is actually telling you, which is really the clue to what's wrong with the patient. And when we, when we take our ears off what the patient's telling us, then we're going to miss some really important information and patient might have a problem that we're not going to pick up. So yeah, that the harm, the harm is a real problem. And, and the great irony that I always talk about is that this is supposed to be considered quality. These are quality indicators and, and it's really accomplishing exactly the opposite. But what about patients? Carolyn Thomas probably wouldn't like it if I called her a professional patient, but she's certainly deeply invested in the patient experience, especially keeping female heart patients like herself well-informed through her website, myheartsisters.org. I asked her what she thought was the number one barrier between patients and their doctors. We don't go to the doctor when we're feeling fine and everything's great. We go to the doctor because something is wrong with us. We have a symptom that's bothering us, or we've had a test results that shows some scary findings. So right off the bat, you've got one of those two people who is sitting behind the desk, perfectly relaxed, because this is just you know, appointment number 17 of an average day, and you've got the other person who's had this day circled on their calendar for days or weeks and is frightened and possibly sick, and we're very worried, and so the communication between the two of them is bound to be, it's fraught, isn't it? And this is important to Thomas because she was once told by a nurse not to interrupt the doctor with questions. As it turns out, her question had to do with chest pain shooting down her left arm, nausea and sweating that was being labeled as acid reflux, but was actually a major heart attack. So you can see why two-way communication matters to Thomas. If you sat down with two mechanics and they were on the same page and they were discussing something mechanical, they would instantly understand the other. And if you sat down with two oceanographers who also were equally well-informed and educated, they would perfectly understand the other. But in this case, we have... Uh, a person who's speaking a foreign language of the medical profession, and then you've got this frightened, uh, possibly sick person with symptoms who's very worried and concerned and stressed on the other side of the table. So it's a one-way conversation, it sounds like. Unless there is time, protected time, quality time, set aside for doctors and patients to, dare I say, converse. Does that happen? I think it still does, but it's clearly endangered, and that can lead to people getting hurt. So I asked each of the three people you just heard from what they saw as possible solutions. 
ways to rebuild the doctor-patient relationship, to make it new and improved. I think the only solution that would work is single-payer, single EMR. Too many sets of rules, too many, too many different computers that don't talk to each other. The promise was that people could go anywhere and every clinic and every emergency room would know their information. That's not true. There are hundreds of different EMRs. They do not communicate with each other. So it was a complete failed promise. There are countries which are on a single platform. That would make sense. A single payer and a single platform is the only way to save the system. Well, I think doctor-patient communication might be translated as human-to-human communication. Maybe if we looked at it that way and tried to, uh, you know, address the hierarchy, the stress, uh, everything that's involved in a doctor-patient conversation, I think we might be on the right track. In terms of the uh, doctor-patient relationship, we, we as doctors need to be paid more for time than for procedure. So, you know, the cardiologist is going to keep doing stents as long as they're paid more to do stents than to discuss with the patient how to improve their lifestyle to avoid the stent. And right now, it's about a 200 to 1 ratio of how much you get for a stent versus how much you get for having that discussion. And our quality indicators need to be based on shared decision making. So not did my patient get the mammogram, but rather did we discuss using absolute numbers the pros and cons of the mammogram and let my patient make the decision. This podcast is a production of healthnewsreview.org. It's produced at our institutional home, the School of Public Health at the University of Minnesota, along the banks of the mighty Mississippi River. I'm Michael Joyce. Thanks for listening.